Now there's a way that you know for sure this is going to be an express cast. Because we have to go pick our kids up from school. And, and I'm glad you said that because I wanted to start this episode with the idea of how many times we say we have to. Because we get to we, go. We get to go. We, but but we, we, we do because the greatest like joys in our life are those two little ones. We really like our kids, And that y'all. we get to go to pick them up. Right, that we, that we, yeah, I'm not going to get and into And we could get all part. deep and emotional, but think of the number of times in a day you say, I have to go do this, I have to go do that. And then think for a second of how many people would be, would give anything to, to be, be in your shoes, up, yeah. to be able to do that thing that you're saying you have to do. And I know what, we run into people all the time that wish that they could get to do those things and, um, and so many of the things that we say we have to. Welcome to the Teaching Gab podcast, episode 11 for 11. Friday, November, Friday. <laughs> November 30th, Shimmy. 2018, where we gab about the gap, the teaching gap. This is the space where we share teacher and parent problems and talk about tricky situations and hopefully easily solutions with our community to fix some of those problems. Here in the kitchen, I'm Dave Crumbine. And right next to him, Aisha Crumbine. Sponsor for this show is Anchor, where they're the only reason that we are able to talk to you right now. (laughs) So we'll talk about them later in the show. And we have our giveaway going on until, what was the date you said? December 10th, I think. Did we set a date? Well, I mean, no, just No, I asked off. you and you were like, I don't know. <laughs> so we, we have that magic date of uh, we only have until just before Christmas to pull this off to try to get Apple's, get on Apple's charts. New, the new and noteworthy. That's a big deal. That's like worldwide audience. Please help us. You tell a friend, they tell a friend. It's reviews, people. It's just do the stars, just click the stars, or just do that one sentence review. That's all it takes. And please share with anyone who's an educator that you know. Or anybody who's a parent. They don't have to be an educator. Parent, yes, absolutely. Here's what's funny. We talked about December 11th in the intro, but we never said what the heck we were talking about for December 11th. We said December 10th. We didn't even... December 10th. What did I just say? December 11th? December 11th. I made a second mistake. So December 10th, like, we're we talking about, we got the the, talk about the chart, and then we lost focus of why in the world. So um, we have our our, our giveaway, $25 Amazon gift card. Use it for all the holidays. Email us after you do a review on iTunes. Um, and what do we need? Email and name. Oh, the title of the review. Yeah, on so we'll know. Just kind of cross-reference that, and then we'll put your name in. And um, in case you want motivation, we have very few names in the hat. <laughs> so um, do it, please, because we are we are willing to give that away. And the explanation for that is yeah, thank you. So iTunes, you have an opportunity as a podcaster to be featured as a new and noteworthy podcaster if within eight weeks you have. What is it? So many listeners? You just we need a lot of re- reviews and, and reviews. ratings. There's okay. no magic number. Okay, so like if you have a lot of reviews and ratings within your first eight weeks of existing as a podcast, and you only get one, one shot. So you only get to hit eight weeks one time. So if we hit the number of reviews and ratings and listeners within the first eight weeks, we get to be featured as a new and noteworthy podcast, which means we get to have more listeners. Greatest Christmas present we could get. Greatest thank you we could, we could receive. So please help us, and you tell a friend, they tell a friend. And to reach us after a review is done, teachinggab at gmail.com. 
gab at gmail.com and the number is 832-819-5166 832-819-5166 and that's our Google Voice number so we'll just uh, be glad to listen you, to that put you that just the leave show. a message we're not going to answer the phone it's not going to be awkward <laughs> Okay, we are back to the last two major mistakes, so kind of part two of mistakes that nearly all beginning teachers make. And this one, this one is, uh, makes me shake when I see it, and it's like that missed opportunity. The kid gives an answer, and it could be something as simple as ignoring like the answer that they have. It could be not working with the answer that they have and like you're when they raise their hands and 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 they are like willing in front of what 29 other kids sometimes more to put their answer out there and i get for some kids like they're high extroverts and like that's not big a deal but in particular for like the middle to the end kid like that is a really big deal and so it's so important to acknowledge the fact even if it's super fast how you respond to how kids give an answer to a question. Some of the things you don't want to do is just say no, or let's not talk about that. And my favorite one, but the ultimate negator, every time you say the word but, and this goes for every human being in any situation, we have this like a funny thing in our marriage, I think we had never used this word, it totally deletes everything you said before. Honey, I love you, but could you please, <laughs> there's no more I love you, it's gone. And so trying not to use that word as much as possible, this is so beyond the classroom. Kid raises her hand, answers, and you, I have seen teachers ignore answers. And like, I get you want them to raise their hand, sometimes like shouting out, all oh, it's shouting out is the wrong term, but like participating by just like saying the right answer at the right time. Kids do not have to raise their hand 100% of the time, like figure out how to blend that into the classroom culture is critical, but how you make sure that you're acknowledging their answer in as positive way as possible. So wait, I'm going to pause for a second. Cause I, I, tell, name the thing that people, name the mistake. I would say saying no, like an answer is wrong and just flat out saying no. Saying, let's not talk about that. Or feeling as if the answer that they give, they gave isn't really what you're getting at. And so just pretty much blowing them off in so some way. So then if I had to put a title on this, this is not validating or not valuing a student's willingness to participate. Our, our daughter, the other, yes. Thank you. Yes. So it was like we, I was like, <laughs> you need a title. Like you just like went right into it. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, the title I'm looking is, at this like, like ticking clock right here, but we're good. It still has 15 it's minutes. It's distracting so you. So the title <laughs> is like the mistake people make is not not honoring or acknowledging that kids are taking a risk when they participate in class and to not honor that or to to not acknowledge that is a miss. And now you can talk about why it's a miss and ways to fix it. They, they participate and then trying to work with their answer even if their answer is wrong, even if their answer is like not even really in that ballpark. Um, I like that answer because it shows blank or that makes sense if blank um trying to basically manipulate a bad answer into something that's going to work and it's not like yeah occasionally there's nothing wrong with saying no um but there's something really important about the fact that the more you can get them to feel 
if they feel confident by the time that they're done participating, they're going to want to participate again. And that kid who's super shy next to them is going to want to participate as well. Right. So it's, so it's not putting a thumb or shooting down their energy or shooting down their excitement. So when kids raise their hand and they're like, oh, I want to participate or I have a question. And even if it's the wrong one, you can say, you know, I'm, I'm excited that you're excited. Let me get to this thing and we can get back to your question. Does like, that work? Yeah, and like from the 20,000 foot view, like understand that you're, you're not just having them participate philosophically because you want to see does a kid know the answer, but you're trying to move a conversation. You're trying to like, if you can change that lesson into a conversation with them, we together are talking about this thing that we're trying to learn for us to move together as a class towards another sense of like some kind of answer, some kind of aha moment. And, and that, that's, I mean, granted, you're not going to do that for everything, but for like the medium to deeper thinking concepts, it's like, it's critical to do that. I always remember a kid turning me, I talked about synapses, like the synapses in your brain and, and they connect. And you know, the, the more you read, the more synapses you connect, your brain thoughts go from one part of the brain faster. It's like, almost like you're growing, being smarter by the more you read and just kind of breaking that concept down. And then I had taught a lesson like a week later. And we really were moving it together as a class conversation. And there weren't always kids raising their hands. Like, you know, you figure that out, how that works in your class. But it was like, it would, the whole conversation would have just stopped if a single time a single kid participated, they felt any sense of ignored or shot down. Versus what happened was the only conversation the kid said, whoa, Mr. Carmine, I can like feel my synapses growing. <laughs> like, of course he couldn't, but... Um, but you know what, it's, it's replicating what we do in real life, right? When we, when we huddle around a problem or when we are trying to do something as a group, as adults, we don't sit around and raise our hand to take turns to talk, right? Like we, we, we play off of each other's responses. Like it is dialogue, it is engagement. And to be able to do that with kids, and it's a skill, like you have to teach your kids how yeah. to do that. It's a skill, but the big, before you even get to the skill, it's having the mindset as a teacher that every kid's voice and the courage it takes to speak up has value, and you're going to validate that so that whenever you are responding to a child because they've raised their hand or because they're speaking out in class, you are coming from a place of their voice is valuable, the courage it took to, to lend their voice is valuable, and I'm going to honor that. Here's the challenge. What, what you and I are doing like right now in this conversation, we are completely having a conversation and there are no raised hands. And like, like I truly believe that a decent amount of the lessons taught by a teacher can be done in the exact same mindset of what you and I are doing right now. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's this dialogue back and forth is so different from let me see if Shannon knows the answer because I see a raised hand. And if you can evolve some of your lessons along that way, that's where it becomes so powerful. I went into a classroom once to be a, a substitute teacher because the teacher just couldn't be there for 40 minutes. Can anyone be in my classroom for 40 minutes? And I was handed the stuff of math that I was supposed to do. And I was like, hey, do this, and then have them do this, have them do this. And it was on the addition of fractions. Oh, fractions. And so I said... Before even like I started, and I could just feel it in the room. I could feel the sense of like ickiness of like not icky, but lack of yeah. uh, of spark. Yeah. And so I just stopped and I said, "Can anyone in this room explain to me where you could step outside of this school and you would actually have to add fractions somewhere outside of this classroom, at home, 
mall, <laughs> airplane, like bus, like at in your bedroom, Just like somewhere. where would you have to add fractions where it actually be useful? And there was like this dead silence, but there wasn't the dead silence. Like the heads were spinning, and all of a sudden we started like going back and forth. And like, yeah, did I take an extra I don't know six seven minutes to explore it with them? But by the time we then went back and did the math again, they saw some purpose to it. And then I could keep going back to that prior knowledge of this thing we had talked about in the real world to see, like, how does that now apply to this problem we're doing on number 13? Um, And that doesn't work. If everything's about raise your hand, put your hand down. Raise your hand, put your hand down. Yes, that's right. No, that's not right. Yes, that's right. No, that's not right. The thing I was saying about our daughter really quickly was, like, we were asking her some. She was, like, adding math. Um, Oh, no, she was spelling the words this morning. Mm -hmm. And she was trying to spell, man, I was like, what word was that? I can't even remember, but she tried to spell the word, and she was wrong. And so instead of saying, like, here's the sort of the, the thumbs down approach, because like, no, actually it would be this because it makes this sound. We didn't, and we said, well, that would make the sound, whatever oh, the word. She was trying to spell gel. Gel. Oh, gel. It was it right. And mm-hmm. she said J. A-L. J-A-L. And it's okay, that would be jow, because you have a j. And sometimes the G makes a, a, a j sound. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, it opened so up this got, door. She, yeah, so then she got to iterate several versions. So she said, oh, well, it's J-I-L. And then we said, well, that would be Jill, because the, I, the I-L is ill. So then she, she began to kind of go through different versions or different possibilities of what it could be, and that was an exercise for her brain because we didn't just stop and correct her. Which gave her the confidence to want to try and try, fail. like, oh, I know, because she says it like every day, like I know how to spell blank word mm-hmm. when she doesn't always know how to spell it. But the point is, she's willing to put it forth. Yeah. Why? Why is she willing to put that effort forth? Because we're not we're asking her to, yeah. because we're not shooting down her answers. And that is like, I think I'm like, I want to bail, so I can go ding, 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 ding. That's it, like. Because we don't shoot down her answers and because we don't squash or devalue her effort, she is willing to try and fail because she doesn't see it as failing. She sees it as trying and trying again and trying again and trying again. And that is the definition of learning, right? That's it. Did I ever tell you about that test they gave veteran teachers versus novice teachers? Mm-hmm. They, they put on, like, they flashed a screen of numbers and letters mm-hmm. or, or, or objects, things they had, could only see briefly. And then they asked the, the veteran teachers, write down everything you saw. And then the novice teachers, write down everything you saw. And the veteran teachers, their list was so much longer. <laughs> And so you, you step back and you think, all right, what, what are we dealing with here? Like, what is that all about? And the, the general concept is that they just are able to see more in a shorter amount of time. And, like, albeit that's true in terms of the scoreboard, in terms of the results, I think it also comes as much as it does from awareness of what to do as a teacher as it does just the practice of it. As, I'm going to say that again, like seeing a screen just, okay, boom, it's flashed right down what you saw. Like there's not much short-term memory difference. There isn't short-term memory difference, right? Because they both saw it and yeah. both had the same chance to write down in the same amount of time, saw it for the same amount of time too. And I would always tell new teachers, the, the worst thing that you can do is turn your back 
unless you're intentionally doing that, which I'll talk about in a second. But you, you have to be able to lift your head up and completely look from left, the farthest left, to the farthest right. And your goal is take in as much as you can. And one of the easiest ways to do that is just look at the heads. Like when you see a kid looking at another kid, are they laughing? They're probably off task. If their head is up, they're probably not. They might be working, but there's a chance they're not. And then if their head is down, you can see if there's like pencil movement, pen movement, or typing movement. So looking from left to right, you literally could see the whole room in like under eight seconds. You're not like flying your head left to right, but you're also not going crazy slow. And I would do this test with, not a test, but to kind of like show it to my students. I did the same lesson at the beginning of the year. I said, I'm going to always pay attention, so just be aware of that. But I had to prove that to them. I knew they were like, yeah, whatever. So I would look up and then look from left to right in like six to eight seconds, then put my head down, and I remembered like what these four or five kids had done. And I quickly said it. And they're like, whoa, how do you do that? Because you're not even looking right now. I would say like, well, Samantha was looking out the window. Johnny was, had his pencil down. Uh, Susan was, like, look, was looking at me, uh, but her, her left arm was on the table. Like, I didn't have to remember that much. It was just like three or four kids. That was more just to show them like, <laughs> that I can pay attention. But as like what I did constantly was practice the concept of scanning the room. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a title on that because, you know, I live in titles. It's practicing the art of the lifeguard look, right? Lifeguards are trained to scan from left to right over a series of seconds, and then a series of seconds from right to left. And they do that constantly, right? Like, or that's what we're trained to do. But as a teacher, you need to do that too. Like, and the more you do it, the more you begin to recognize certain behaviors. So you just gotta make that a regular part of your practice so that you know, oh, someone, you know, disengagement looks like this, hyper-engagement looks like this, being off task looks like this, so when you do a scan, you can pick those up a lot faster. But new teachers, I do believe you can do this. I believe that you can practice the concept of just have, use that as a habit of something to practice every day. It's like, can you just scan? How much can you see? Look at the heads. And it's going to help management significantly. Because one of the things you can do, and another funny thing with the kids, in the sense is you can actually see like just pick one kid like when you scan it like okay susan's doing whatever wrong like let's say she's just laughing shouting with a person then don't mention it to her we talked about in the previous episode of never saying we but like calling out a kid's name yeah but what you do is you you turn your back intentionally or you look down at your computer or whatever you're doing and you go susan can we get back on task or just susan and then they're like they think whoa how does how does he do that? He's like got he's not eyes even, at the top yeah, of his head. He's not even looking at us right now. And the whole trick was that like I saw it three and a half seconds ago, but I waited that three and a half seconds before I got her back on track, before I corrected, before I mentioned her name. And and the the more that you can not necessarily just do that, but continue to practice that top, that idea of the scan. So even if you're helping someone and you're leaning over a desk and you're helping someone, take you do it in six seconds, lift your head. Move from left to right. Look at everything you see and down. And the mis- to name the mistake that beginning teachers make is they have tunnel vision. When they're helping the student, they're helping Samantha, they only see Samantha. Their head is totally focused on Samantha. When they're teaching, 
when they're teaching, they're in front of the room, they're direct instruction. They've got like focus only over here on the right-hand side. And if they just, while they were teaching, scan that, the, they move the arm, or sorry, move the head from left to right, and the body, right? Like, don't just stay, in, catch yourself. Do you only stay in the front of the room? And then as you're, the more you walk around as you're teaching and you're moving your head, the truck drivers, remember the thing about truck drivers who get in the least number of accidents? Truck drivers who have logged like Google's number of hours who don't get in accidents. They, they did a study and figured out that the reason truck drivers versus the ones that do get in accidents, the ones that don't, I think about this when I'm driving, their, their eyes are constantly moving in all these different directions. So be a, be a really awesome truck driver when you're teaching.